three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, my interview with Priesthood Dispatches. Now, if you have not heard yet of Priesthood Dispatches, you should. It is a new but up-and-coming podcast from one of my new friends across the pond. Yes, you will note a definite accent of the English variety while I am being interviewed. Now, I will tell you that I am not absolutely 100% positive as to whether the bloke who runs Priesthood Dispatches is out in public with his real-life name, so I will simply refer to him as Priesthood Dispatches. That is also the name of his podcast. I was very honored that he would ask me on his show for an interview, but what it ended up being was a fun and romping chat about things related to Mormonism, and I don't know about anybody else, but I had a jolly good time. And so here is the recording of my interview with Priesthood Dispatches. I hope you have as much fun listening to it as I did recording it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Priesthood Dispatches channel. Uh, you might be able to see just to my right hand side we have the one the only radio free mormon coming to us all the way from the western seaboard of the united states of america how are you doing today rfm i'm great thank you so much how are you doing i'm doing pretty good um i think it's really early where you are and it's the afternoon so i am you know, getting ready to have a drink and wind down for my uh, Friday evening. And you're just getting started with your work day. I've got my whole Friday ahead of me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be the highlight of my Friday, I'm sure. I hope it is. Uh, so it's Friday, the 4th of February. Welcome back to the channel. Please like and subscribe. If you're listening on the podcast, whether that's uh, my podcast or I think are you going to use the audio on yours as well, RFM? The audio? Yes, absolutely. With your kind permission, I will. Uh, no. And also depending on how this goes. Well, yeah, if it's a total car crash, then uh, you can just, just trash it. Yeah, don't cock <laughs> it up, okay? No, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, if you can leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and remember... What your mama always taught you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Or as um, Mae West used to say, if you can't say anything nice about somebody, come and sit by me. <laughs> yes. Well, interestingly enough, uh, one of the things that I love about RFM and listening to Mormonism Live with RFM Bill Real and now Maven and also listening to the podcast because I've been listening to your podcast for many a year. And something that I do at night, <laughs> this might sound really creepy. Sorry. Do you really uh, want to share this with the audience? No, <laughs> I always go to sleep to a podcast. It just chills me out. Okay. So my kids were asking who the guest was this week. And I said, it's RFM. And they said, is that that guy we hear at night every night? And I was like, yeah, it probably is. Um, because you've got quite a distinctive voice, which is great. And yeah, um, sometimes my kids hear you. So they, they know you as the guy in dad's bedroom at night. Um, when dad's so, going to sleep. Yes. Yeah. So not that you, oh man, that's gone down a really weird, weird kind of path that you put me well, to sleep. You're the one who put, brought it up. You're more I have been told that. that a lot of people listen to my podcast in order to get to sleep. It has a certain soporific effect. Yeah. 
but yeah, you made me what I am today. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Make me proud. Okay. Awesome. Well, we're going to start with an apology. Uh, from a previous episode, I mentioned a sister missionary from Australia. Uh, I was her district leader here in the UK. And I mentioned that that sister missionary may have given uh, a blessing to a brother in need on her mission. And that there was some, uh, it was a bit of a sticky situation. That sister missionary has reached out all the way from Australia. Um, who would have known it 15 years later? Um, she still wants to tell Elder PD um, that he was a bad boy. She's let me know that for the record, she was not the one who gave the blessing, uh, that her and her companion went to visit a brother in the ward, less active brother, and they took, because they were very good, a chaperone with them who was a YSA sister from the ward. And it was whilst they were trying to arrange medical attention for this brother that they turned around to find the YSA sister with her arm to the square and the other hand on the gentleman's head, um, casting out, as she puts it, demons, afflictions, and sickness. So, Sister Australia, I apologize, um, but I think that would have been quite a cool story to say to people that you've done that. Yeah. It would be. Are sisters supposed to raise their arm to the square and cast out demons and bad things? I thought maybe they should raise their arm to the triangle. To the triangle. Yeah, that's for sisters, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Sisters could do it so much better than we do. Like, I remember whenever I gave a blessing, I had kind of a pro forma in my head that I'd go through. Obviously, you've got the special words at the start that have to be said in the right order or it doesn't work. Right. You know, and then it, I'd always tell them that their Lord was well pleased because that's a nice thing to say. Yes, he's so pleased that he's smitten you with whatever it is I have to give you a blessing for. Yeah. And did you find that you could pick up good bits from listening to other brethren give blessings? So uh, uh, I think the most important thing in any blessing that's given in the church is usually the escape clause at the end. You yeah. got to give God an out for not, uh, you know, performing. Yes. Uh, for me, it was, and I bless you with anything else that the Lord sees fit. What was yours? Um, well, usually what it is, is uh, I, we bless you that you'll be healed if God really, really wants it. Uh, or by your faith. Because. Yes, by your faith. That's important because we want to make sure that the person, if they don't get healed, which happens, oh, I think, probably more than 90% of the time, I'm just guessing. We yeah. want to make sure that that person who doesn't get healed realizes that it's their fault. <laughs> it always is. It always is. Okay. Well, It's not my fault. I did my part. I feel like we've, we've exercised the demon just in, in that moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Right. Okay, well, before we get to RFM, I want to do TikTok of the week. Uh, we have um, a TikTok here um, that I came across, and it wasn't from an ex-Mormon TikToker, but I think this one, um, it just really, it's amazing. It's from Saudi Arabia, um, where, yeah, they take their religion seriously. And this is the Olympic coverage from Saudi Arabia. 
and what they do to keep their young men holy and clean. Just take a, uh, a quick look at this. It gets better. <laughs> For anyone listening on the podcast, on all the women's events, they have placed um, big black squares or asterisks over the parts of the female that are forbidden. So arms, legs, torso. So you can only see the head, the feet and the ankles. But the technology is not amazing, and these squares are kind of slow. So, how do, how do I get that job? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, the guy who has to sit there and reanimate the whole thing. That's going to be a tough job. You imagine, though, we've got the whole porn shoulders thing, but there's young men who are just dying to catch a glimpse of a woman's calf. Yeah, and some of the times it's not good enough and they actually do get a glimpse. Yeah. But what do well, they do with a guy who's actually doing it? Because the guy who's doing it probably has to see something. Yeah, so this is this is a uh, an interesting point. I knew a brother over here in the UK, and he wanted to, or his wife wanted to watch Game of Thrones. Your Game of Thrones, have you seen it? Oh yeah, multiple yeah. times. So in the in the earlier seasons before Game of Thrones started to take itself seriously, there were quite some racy scenes. Um so what he did, I didn't watch those. I just fast forwarded through those many times. Well, well what he did for his wife <laughs> <laughs> many times. <laughs> well what he did for his wife is he watched it and um uh, edited it for her so so that she oh. didn't have to watch it well that was nice that's true love so yeah so he could say now they have sex perfect so you're she a was, talker she was kept holy and clean remember that scene with the hound in the tavern you're a talker yes well this is also something we're going to get onto later <laughs> He wanted all the chickens. <laughs> Bring me every chicken. That's right. I'm going to have to eat every chicken. In this place. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite one is Tyrion when he was speaking about God, and he was he he referred to himself as the Lord of Tits and Wine. Yes. Because he drinks and he knows things. Right, right. I actually have a drinking glass over here that was given to me as a gift for my daughter, which has that on it. I drink and I know things. They've got Amazing. the most powerful people in the entire world gathered together at that table. And they look over at Tyrion and say, what do you do? <laughs> I drink and, and I, know I know things. things. Yes. Um, and Varys reminds me of like the um, Strengthening Church Members Committee. They've just got little birdies everywhere um, pulling pulling strings because he's, Varys is the character that is always on the council, but everything he does 
because he does a lot, he kind of does behind the scenes and you find mm-hmm. out about later. Um, so you've, you've got those who, the, the hand of the king, etc., um, who are all up front and doing all the politics, but the person really running the place uh, is Varys. The, you know, if he lived in Utah, he'd be a lawyer. Uh, no offense. <laughs> he'd be a, a lawyer working for Curtin McConkie, um, who sits on many dubious boards within the church uh, structure. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful show. I loved all of the seasons except for the last one, but I understand that's a common sentiment. Oh, my gosh. The last season was shocking. Um, did you see the image of the horse that someone uh, drew? So That someone uh, drew? Yeah, they, they created this image, uh, a pencil drawing of a horse. Um, and this horse was that season one and two it was um it was like uh picasso perfect drawing but then as the seasons went on the drawing got a little bit dodgier each time so so that season seven was just like a uh a total mess here you go i'll show it to you because that's how we roll here on priest of dispatches we like to see things um in in person now, this is just going to be a Google image. Yeah. Okay. So, if you can zoom in here. Um, I remember the white horse from the, the last season. No. Is this like Trigger? Do you so, even get that, by the way? That's kind of an American reference. I'm not sure if you trigger? get Trigger. Yes. No. No. Famous horse over here in the States. Okay. We'd be like Red Rum. But you can see Red here. Rum. Is Red Rum the name of a horse? Oh, yeah. Really famous horse here in the UK. Won the Grand National several times. Is actually buried on the finish line of the Grand National. Really? Yeah. He's, Is that a uh, steeplechase where they have to sort of jump over the mound? Yes. Yeah. That's like uh, it's one of the, the oldest uh, horse races in the world. I know Red yeah. Rum from Stephen King, The Shining. There you go. Maybe you know what red rum spelled backward is, don't you? Uh, I'm uh, oh wow, yeah, murder. murder. That's uh, red rum. Red rum. Wow, I've never heard that one. Mm, Um, Yeah, but here you can see this horse. Seasons one to four, uh, and season five, fantastically drawn, Um, perfectly drawn. And then as you go on, season six and season season seven and eight it becomes a total mess. Is that sort of an artistic rendition of how they felt the seasons went? Yeah, because they were absolutely shocking, let's be honest. Yes. Kind of got bad at the end. But I did love it when uh, everybody was wondering who's going to kill the king of the Nightwalkers. Yeah, and um, so for anyone listening who's not a Game of Thrones fan, You better go apologize. watch it fast. Yeah. Uh, spoiler, Arya Stark. Where she jumps up and he grabs her by the neck, should she not have frozen? You know, because he's like Jack Frost. Anyway, we digress. Um, later on, if you enjoy the one-liners that RFM comes up with that stump Bill Real consistently, <laughs> uh, I, love, <laughs> I love listening to it because you'll be you'll you'll be like uh, to be or not to be, and Bill will be like what. You what know, is all, that? What are you talking about? 
or Bill will just totally gloss over it and carry on and, and you'll do that. You'll be like, did you get that? <laughs> I know. I, I'm used to not being understood or gotten to the point where I can recognize the facial expressions usually when people are just trying to shine me on as if they did get it. And sometimes they do get it, believe it or not. And uh, But sometimes I have to check and make sure. Hey, you know, it's, it's important stuff because some of it, amazingly enough, is um, some of the best, you know, Shakespeare couldn't have done better himself. Uh, but what we're going to do is there's a test later on. I found a test on the internet of some of the most famous one-liners. So we're going to see uh, how encyclopedic your one-liner oh, knowledge is. Oh, no. I'm so hoping you're going to do something on Shakespeare. I might have a chance there. By the way, in Bill Reel's defense, I think he would get to be or not to be. Oh, no, absolutely. That was just okay. the, the first one that came to mind um, without trying to struggle too much to come up with one. I remember when I was on Nemo show, we were doing a meme review and I quoted a couple of lines from Shakespeare and he gave me the same blank look that Bill Reel gives me sometimes. Yeah. Well, what's fantastic is your <laughs> knowledge um, of some of what is classic literature is so good that the rest of us you're just so well read which is unreal like i'd like to give that impression are you telling me you've just got a bunch of one-liners written up on the wall uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely in fact i, I want to tell the story just really quickly which That's is right. that James Randi, the amazing Randi, famous magician, wrote a book called Flim Flam, which I read back in 1989. And it was about uh, religious charlatans. He said something about Joseph Smith in there, but only in passing, so I let it slide. But he said that if you want to become a famous preacher, a televangelist, and make all kinds of money, what you do is you take three or four short verses from the Bible. You memorize, that have general applicability, by the way. Yeah. They're not specific. It's not like baptism for the dead. First uh, Corinthians 15, 29, right? It's um, uh, just general applicability. You memorize the verse, you memorize the reference, and then you work it into the conversation with other people as often as you can. And he said that if you do that, the audience will give you, they will ascribe to you a knowledge of the scriptures that is far and above the knowledge that you actually possess. Oh, wow. I, I used to do a similar thing as a uh, bishop. So once a month, it fell to me to uh, be the final speaker in sacrament meeting. And I was young, so I was out partying all the time. I was busy as a bishop. So, Did you say you were young, so you were out partying all the time? Yeah, you know, I was 23, uh, married, and yeah. I worked in radio which meant spent a lot. Uh, the, the radio station I worked at was uh, very much a dance and R&B station. So a lot of events in nightclubs. I used to run those events. In fact, one of my uh, kind of crowning moments, I say crowning moments, it was a difficult moment because I was the bishop in this town that I lived in. And I found myself running a club night in that town one weekend. And I ended up, we'd got the pre-bar where you wanted everyone to go. That bar had paid for advertising. Everyone goes there, has a couple of drinks, and then at a certain time, they cross the road to the club 
where you give them a few more drinks vouchers. They go listen to some DJs from the radio station. And my job was running these evenings as an events coordinator. And I found myself stood on a traffic island in the middle of the road with a loud, uh, you know, like a loud hailer, the big horn speakers that you speak into. Yeah, we would call that a bullhorn. A bullhorn. (laughs) Beckoning people from the pre-bar to the club uh, with free drinks vouchers. And I just thought to myself, it was maybe 11 p.m. And I'm stood in the middle of the town where I'm the bishop. Screw. <laughs> and I thought, what if the high priest group leader drives by right now? Or what, what if one of these kind people who I'm, you know, making, I'm telling jokes. I'm, I'm making comments about girls, uh, what they're wearing, about guys, how drunk they are and different things. Just having a general laugh, you know. Uh, but what if one of them rocks up at church in the morning as an investigator and they're kind of like, is that the guy who gave me free drinks vouchers last night? You'd be very popular. My concern would be whether one of the high priests comes out of the pre-bar and crosses the road. That would have been hilarious, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been fantastic. Uh, But yeah, so I quit radio uh, because I, I couldn't, couldn't put the two together. Um, so yeah. Okay. Another career squandered because of Mormonism. Yeah, no, absolutely. After that, I went to space cowboy. Um, but I was too fat for that. They said the rocket is only made for so many people. And I, I was taking up two seats. So when you say space cowboy, are you talking about an astronaut? Yeah. Like, when you when you're a kid, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want I want to be a radio DJ. Okay, can't do that. What else do you want to do? Well, I want to be an astronaut. And now Elon Musk's made it really popular, so there's even more people in in the line in front of me. Yeah, you I just need have, to save some money. Uh, I could have been the first man on Mars, you know. <laughs> okay, speaking of um, aerial prowess, uh, I just want to bring this uh, gentleman up. So we spoke earlier in the week about um, the Simpsons and time travel. Um, Who's, who's the creator of the Simpsons? Matt Groening, G R O E N I N G. I think, I think it's pronounced Groening. Yeah. I wanted to say Groberg, but that's the guy who went to like uh, Polynesia. Yes. That's the the gift of tongues. And his yeah. girlfriend was Anne Hathaway. Yeah, she was beautiful. lucky devil. I know. And they, the rats ate the bottoms of his feet. <laughs> <laughs> but for those listening on screen now, we have a rendition of Mr. Burns slash Russell M. Nelson with a plane in the background going down with a, a stream of smoke coming out of it, uh, referencing obviously the famous story now that he told that we've heard of on mormonism live uh, if you want to go back and listen to that episode these guys do an amazing job of fact checking that um experience but russell M. nelson he's given this experience in several books over the years of the death spiral on the airplane and the fact that he was happy with his life but as he looked around the uh, the cabin he saw a lady who was fearful of dying 
um, because she hadn't lived her life the way that she should have, apparently, because he knows everything about everyone by simply looking into their terrified eyes. Um, but I, I genuinely believe that Matt at Groaning is a time traveler and that he tells us all that subliminally through The Simpsons and that he is based at Mr. Burns on Russell and Nelson. I think that's just an amazing likeness. Taken from uh, the ex-Mormon group on Facebook this week, I don't have a credit um, because no one signed the actual picture, but if you did this, hats off. That's fantastic. Yes, uh, President Nelson's flight of death. You would have thought if he's a smart guy, he'd have at least made it something uh, where they don't actually keep logs of what happens on flights. You know, if you, he could, it could have been like a, a chartered boat. You know, across the across the Utah Lake, and on this this chartered, unregistered, anonymous boat, it started to sink. And like the good little boy in Holland, he put his finger in the dike and held it shut. Well, the problem is he gave too many details so that it could be actually um, pinpointed to some degree as to when this would have happened, what flight it would have been, because there's only a limited number of flights that go from Salt Lake City down to St. George he was flying to when there was a malfunction. Yeah. At the, uh, what was it? At the point of no return, right? The point of no return. And I, I remember talking to Bill about this. You know what point of no return is? Nobody knew. It's from a movie, right? It's, it's actually a term, but it has no application when you're flying over land. The point of no return um, figures prominently in a famous American movie from the 1950s with John Wayne in it called The High and the Mighty. Okay. And Dimitri Tiomkin did a very haunting score for it. And it's kind of famous, but I, I won't hum it because there's no word so i could actually i will it goes and so forth anyway uh but they're flying from hawaii to san francisco in the movie i think and the deal is is that at the halfway point once you're halfway and you've got nothing but water under you now you're at the point of no return which simply means that it is closer to continue on your way than it is to turn around and head back the way you came. Once you get to the point of no return, the halfway point, you're committed to making it the rest of the way. Turning around isn't going to help because all you got below you is sea. So you're going to crash in the ocean. So that makes sense in the movie, which is really where I think that President Nelson got the line from because he says that he heard the the pilot of this little, uh, I think it was a Navajo, aircraft, just a small passenger aircraft, not a big airliner like in um, the High and the Mighty. But uh, they get halfway there and he hears the the pilot say, we've just passed the point of no return. And he says, I thought that was a strange thing to say. Well, I can understand why you think it was a strange thing to say, because it doesn't make any sense for a pilot to say that when he's flying over land with intervening airports. Yeah. And you'd imagine that the point of no return is actually when you've used up so much fuel that you don't have enough fuel to turn around and return to your taking off point. You know, I actually, I think that that is probably the correct definition. I am not a pilot. I just watch movies. 
and listen to talks by President Nelson. Yeah, well, everything's a remix. I mean, heaven forbid that President Nelson would use um, uh, a one-liner from a movie or even anything unoriginal um, because as a prophet, seer, and revelator, uh, every word is like unto Moses. Yes, well, that's why when I listen to anything that President Nelson says, mentally, I always put question marks after it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Isn't that what we're supposed around. to do? Isn't that what Wendy Nelson said? I thought she said that. Wendy Nelson was in uh, in your No, you know what? They gave a, a, a talk to Europe. Uh, they gave us a good talking to. But, yeah, she stood up and she told us all that world media, these podcasts, books, everything other than what the prophets say everything you should put a question mark after it and then put an exclamation mark after everything that the prophets say because rfm she uh, quote the prophets are the standard of truth you know things have changed so much even since i joined the church in the late 70s because when i joined the church there were scriptorians that bestrode the world like a colossus and one of those was bruce r mcconkey right yeah. Now, Bruce R. McConkie really never, I think, had an original idea in his head. Everything he said, and he, he wrote copiously a number of books. He was quite prolific, but he's really saying the same thing over and over again in all of his books. And what he's doing is he's repeating what his father-in-law, Joseph Fielding Smith, had taught. And Joseph Fielding Smith is basically repeating what his dad, Joseph F. Smith, had taught. So there's this line of thought. And in Mormon Doctrine, have you ever heard of that book? Mormon doctrine, yeah, yeah, the um, the stick of Bruce. Yes, uh, it's very, very clear. What I grew up with was this idea: yes, we do have prophets on the face of the earth, but they are not untethered from anything else. And in fact, the standard works were considered to be the gold standard for determining truth. And that's in Mormon doctrine. Of course, he's saying what Joseph Ely Smith had said as well. But the idea is this, and he says this in there, which is the reason they're called the standard works. Have you ever wondered about that, by the way? Uh, Because they're the standard. They are the standard, like a ruler, like a yardstick, uh, whatever. They are the standard by which you measure anything else that is said, including statements from prophets. And if a prophet, even the head of the church, I said even there, didn't I? Even the head of the <laughs> church, if the prophet says something that is not in accord with the standard works, then you can disregard it. Ooh. Now there's some shaky ground to live on. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because um, I'm wearing mixed uh, cotton polyester right now. So you need to go stone me to death. Um, according to Old Testament law, I met mixed fabrics. I'm in trouble. Oh, right, right. Well, I yeah. think I'm going to have a hamburger, a, a cheeseburger, and a milkshake myself. Yeah. Well, for all these a little people, violation of kosher. Yeah. For all the people that get upset at the uh, LGBTQ community because of these Old Testament laws, they really need to take a look at their wardrobe, their, their fridge freezer. And, um, you know, what, what they're doing throughout the, the week, because there's a lot of Old Testament laws um, that they could probably be uh, stoned for as well. Do you know that deal about cheeseburgers? 
or a hamburger and a milkshake? No, go on. Well, there's this Old Testament law. It's talking about that you shall not eat a calf that has been seethed or boiled, uh, seethed in its mother's milk. Do you remember that passage? What? No. It's probably Leviticus or something. But yeah, that was a commandment in the law of Moses. And so that came to be understood as, okay, you don't eat uh, a dairy product or beef, something that comes from a cow. You can't have two of those in any meal. Because if you do, if you have a cheeseburger, right, you've got the, the burger and you've got the cheese. So cheese comes from a cow, burger comes from a cow. And it could possibly be that the cheese might be coming from the mother of the cow that you're eating. Now, it might be old cheese. I don't know. But that could happen. And therefore, okay, I hope I'm not totally <laughs> destroying or misrepresenting the uh, kosher laws of the Jewish religion. But my understanding is, is that that violates kosher because you could be violating that commandment from Leviticus about not eating the calf that's conceived in its mother's milk. And, and that will be why, because I knew this, I knew that they kept dairy products and meat products in separate refrigerators. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So that, so that they don't mix. You don't so even they, want it rubbing off. Yeah. So this is part of the hedge that the, um, yeah, part of the hedge that the rabbis or uh, the Jewish <laughs> scholars built around the law in order to make sure that nobody got anywhere near to where they could violate the law. By the way, going back to the thing about uh, prophets and the standard works, that seemed to have suffered a sea change in 1980 or 81 when Ezra Taft Benson gave his famous talk about the 14 fundamentals of following the prophet. And one of those fundamentals, I can't remember which number it is, it's one or 14 or something in between, which is that it is the living prophet who controls. Whatever the living prophet says is what you follow, regardless mm -hmm. of whether it contradicts something that a prophet said in the past. Actually, he doesn't say if it contradicts, okay? Because I think that would be a bridge too far for him to be that transparent. Uh, what he says is living prophets trump dead prophets. And he says, you know, uh, in Noah's day, uh, they built an ark. And that was essential then. But now we follow living prophets, regardless uh, of what prior prophets have said. And it occurred to me sometime after that, that really the only reason that Ezra Taft Benson or anybody would ever make this argument about living prophets trumping dead prophets is because there are occasions where living prophets are contradicting dead prophets. If there were no occasions like that, that Ezra Taft Benson knew about, then there would be no reason for that fundamental, that particular one of the 14 fundamentals. You don't have to make that rule. Follow the living prophet. Living prophets trump dead prophets unless there was a problem that you knew about that you want to avoid. You know what? The interesting thing is you've given the, the black and white there of the living and the dead, but I was asking a, a TBM family member about this exact issue with regards to uh, the stance on the LGBTQ community and Jeffrey R. Holland's talk. Mm. Um, the musket speech. The, the muskets. And in their opinion, they're like, oh, it's, it's all bluster. It's much ado about nothing. But Shakespeare. I said to him, I know. <laughs> 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 we should have a little ding. <laughs> But, um, yeah, that, I've been saving that one. <laughs> but I said to him, so 
the you sustain the twelve apostles and the first presidency all as prophets, seers, and revelators, and you go by their words. But what about when um, the prophet that they are contradicting is still alive? For instance, Dallin H. Oaks, when he speaks about, um, there's the quote about him saying that uh, if you have a child who is gay, you can let them know that they're welcome to bring their partner over, but they can't stay for the night and don't even think you're going to come out to a restaurant with us. Or when he speaks about not letting homosexuals um, have any uh, position of influence in the media. And that, have you not seen that quote? Oh yeah. Well, that was from his memo that he did back in the 1980s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but there are all these things that the prophets that now stand up and are saying, we must love, we must be inclusive. Um, and, you know, we have uh, LDS.org or GayLDS.org and all of these things from the prophets today, but they're contradicting themselves. So there, there becomes a, another section there of which ones do you believe? Do you believe Dallin H. Oaks from 2022 or Dallin H. Oaks from 1982? Is there two very different prophets? Yes. Well, you know, Mormonism is an interesting institution in that truth is determined not by what is said, but by who says it. It makes no difference, yeah. really, what, what they're talking about. The important thing is to figure out who it is who said it and then do this mental exercise of trying to figure out, okay, who has the most seniority? Now, we know if they're alive they definitely trump the ones who are dead. That's easy. But yeah. like you say, this makes it a little bit more challenging because then you start saying, okay, well, he was only an apostle when he said that he wasn't the president of the church. And then you start saying, okay, well, this person had more seniority than that person. And therefore the person with more seniority is the person that we're going to listen to because they've got more of a clue about what truth is than this other person. And uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon. How do you come down on that? Um, I think that it's all codswallop and that, that is a great word codswallop yes um that's a very polite english way of saying it's bs um but yes is, it's it, all is it bollocks it's, it's all bollocks mate <laughs> 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 that's, that's, yeah it's absolute bollocks isn't it no I, I will tell you my personal feeling and i don't have anything else to base this on is that when Elder Oak says something about, uh, you know, don't have your gay son overnight at your house with his uh, companion and don't expect us yeah. to take you out to dinner because we don't want to be seen with you publicly because other people might think that I support you. That, I think, is probably the more authentic feelings yeah. of Elder Oaks. Now, a person certainly can change over time. I know I've changed over time, so maybe he's changed over time. But based upon what I've seen with Elder Oaks, I think that he he knows what presents better to the public. Yes. And so when he yeah. is in public, he will say things that he knows he should say, even though my impression is that he doesn't really believe it. He still has those old feelings that he expressed and which are still available in an interview on the church website. Yeah, well, and that's that's the thing on the church website now. They've started putting a, um, a caveat at the beginning of some of these talks from old enzymes to say that 
the issues or the the language in the talk is from uh, another time you know let's be let's give poor joseph a break but that they you know that that doesn't count today and then it gives uh links to more recent versions of whether it's a talk on the family where the apostle is saying that the woman should be in the home tied to the cooker in the kitchen sink and that's her place to bear children and populate worlds without number she bears um, children in the kitchen it's been known <laughs> well, i've heard about a bun in the oven yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely uh an interesting thing though is uh jeffrey r holland so we've we've had for a few months now starting in october here in the uk and europe we've had a lot of visitors of apostles um come in to save us from our heathen ways here in europe now jeffrey r holland mentioned something uh during his visit because there was no auto cue for these guys on this occasion when you say auto cue are you talking about a a screen a teleprompter yeah Got so it. there was there was no so a, a general conference it is well rehearsed and yes. they do it very well you know it's a hollywood production the the guys who get up and the sisters who get up to speak they know exactly which camera to look in at which time they follow the little arrows and they read it very well but the, uh, three apostles, uh, Holland, Ballard, and Cook, came with their wives and spoke over three sessions. And they spoke in a chapel in London. So there was it was just a chapel with cameras set up. So no teleprompters. Uh, they were just riffing. And they were awful. They basically said, we're really old and we're still traveling the world to tell people about this. So it must be true. We know a lot of things that you don't know. So trust us. And then Jeffrey O'Holland did this amazing thing. And he said that Elder Ballard, Elder Cook, all their wives and RFM have made it. They get a free pass. Um, they, they get this permanent pass to heaven. Um, and we can only assume that he was referencing the second anointing there which is interesting because you'd never get that in general conference. No, never. And by the way, let me tell you, it's great. Is it's it great to have that, that assurance because then I don't have to worry about anything anymore. No, you can um, come and do things like this and they can't touch you. I did see that actually. And I saw it before the church made Nemo take it down. Yeah. Uh, it was absolutely stunning what elder Holland did, which is he went from one gaff to another in short order. And the first thing he starts talking about is Elder Ballard, or as you say, Ballard, <laughs> Elder Ballard, and how old he is. Yeah. Right? And then all of a sudden he starts realizing, oh, crap, I shouldn't be talking about my boss that way, or the senior guy up the totem pole. And so he starts saying, oh, well, he's really active, and we have a hard time keeping up with him, you know, because he's just so dang gung-ho, even though he's uh, along in years. And then he starts talking about how, you know, he doesn't even have to be here. He doesn't have to be doing this, no. you know, guys, you should be really grateful that he's here because he doesn't have to be coming over here and talking to you, but he does it not because 
it's going to be of any benefit to him. Now, this is where he's trying to really uh, try and get you to really appreciate what they've done by coming over here. So you'll be sort of overawed by their presence and they're putting themselves out for you guys. And he says, yeah, he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for you because no. he doesn't need to do it for himself. He didn't, he's need, got the, what? didn't need to come on holiday for two weeks to Britain uh, and visit all these lovely places, you know, spend all that tithing money. Didn't need to. Didn't need to because he doesn't need to because he has got his salvation taken care of a long time ago. And now he realizes that he has said this about Elder Ballard and there's other people up there on the stand too. There's Elder Cook, right? Yeah. And there's Elder Cook's wife and there's Elder Holland's wife. Now, Elder Ballard's uh, wife, I think, has passed away, so he's not talking about her. But he says, oh, well, it's not just Elder um, Ballard who ha who's taking care of his salvation a long time ago. Not just him, but also Elder Cook and Elder Cook's wife and my wife. And then he realizes, well, me yeah. too, but I'm not going to talk about me because I'm not supposed to talk about me. It is so funny because he realizes he yeah. goes from step to step, from gaff to gaff, and now he's talking about the second anointing. And he's talking about it with these other people. He gets to himself. He realizes, oh, crap. How have I gotten myself in this position? I'm not supposed to be talking about this. And so then he goes and does a very rough segue. He tries to pull up that Navajo that's spiraling down toward the ground. It's about ready to hit and crash and yeah. break up upon contact. And he yeah. tries to pull it up in the most awkward segue into something else that has nothing to do with it. But he got to get away from that. I thought that was the most entertaining part of the entire trip. Yeah, another good one was um, that he he was trying to say where Elder Ballard, Ballard, how do you say it? Ballard, Ballard, Ballard. Elder ba Ballard, um, Ballard would rather would rather be, <laughs> and he said um, he'd rather be in Brighton on a sandy beach in a deck chair, or, or that that would be a nice place to be. Brighton is the gay capital of the UK with a pebble beach. So he was, he, yeah, he was trying to endear himself to us by coming up with some little, um, you know, oh, Brighton. Yeah, we know Brighton. He doesn't know Brighton. Like Brighton is the gay capital. Yeah. Um, so if he was over here in the United States, it would be the equivalent of him saying that Elder Ballard would rather be in San Francisco in a bathhouse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are we, we, we all just died laughing <laughs> did you mention that in your review yeah yeah it comes up uh, i must have uh, forgotten that part I, I apologize yeah no it's okay it was it was one where i think all the uh english or british ex-mormons were just like did he seriously just do that it's like me coming to utah and saying uh, just just picking a place on the map that looks like it's on the edge of a lake and saying, oh, yeah, I'd really like to go and relax by Utah Lake with my feet in the water, uh, not knowing that it's highly polluted and will probably melt the skin off of my feet. But it'd be a really nice day because I've, I've chosen that point on the map to make it look like I know where I am and what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Going for a swim in the Hudson River. Yes. Yeah. But aeroplanes, like, skimming that Sullinger. Yeah, but I will put a link to the TikTok of Jeffrey R. Holland making that gaffe in the description below um, so that if anyone who hasn't seen it wants to see it, 
you can uh, watch it in all of its glory. Okay. Now then, RFM. We wanted to leave the listener or viewer with something tangible to go and chew on. And I've come up with what I think is a nice little kind of uh, light touch on a topic which I think is not spoken about enough. And that, my friend, uh, I think the key words for this would be collab, flat earth, and Kane swam around for nine months whilst he waited for the floodwaters to recede. He's the world champion waiter. Yeah. Or water treader, water treader. That's it, treading water. Yeah, because it couldn't have been, uh, it must have been deep enough because everyone obviously drowned. Well, there's actually a lively debate on whether it was that because Kane can't be killed, so he can't drown. So maybe he was just sort of walking along the ocean bottom during that time. Wow. That's With special. an exclusively seafood diet. <laughs> yeah. The seaweed. Uh, but I, after I left the church, I thought to myself, I bought my kids action, you know, action figures of the Ark of the... I say action figures i mean just little kids toys of the ark and the animals and everything so they could load them up and they could push them around and i'm like is there any other genocide in the world that we make children's toys of and hand them out or write nursery rhymes and books about because as a believing mormon you believe or should believe that it was a literal global flood and that God killed everyone, including small children who were playing football in the alley or whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I I considered writing an account of a child um, who was like, oh, yeah, it started to rain, and then it rained a lot. And then I'm told that my mum's not been very good, so that's why it's raining. And then we saw this big boat come past, but they wouldn't pick us up. It was really weird. Because the guy who was on the boat was supposed to be a really nice guy. And he was the one that came and told us all how to be a good guy and how to love everyone. But he won't pick us up. And he's got this really big boat. Yeah. Yes, and the final words of the story are blub, blub, blub. <laughs> so, on that note, let's get to Colob. Not literally. Because it's a long way away. Uh, we can hide there if you want. <laughs> what does that even mean? If you could hide to Kolob? What's the... Do you know what the, the English origin of hiding to something is? I, I bet it has more to do with your country than mine. But oh. I think it means to go. To travel. Okay. Well, Are you looking it up? No. Um, okay. Um, I'm not. If if you want to look it up, I am just pulling. No, up. I don't want to look it up because no. if I look it up, I might be wrong. And if I don't look it up, then I can pretend I'm right. No, fair enough. I am just trying to pull up an image. So we're going to talk quickly or briefly about this book, The Kolob Theorem by Lynn M. Hilton, PhD. So The Kolob Theorem Theorize. By the way, it means to go quickly. Oh, yes. So if we could go quickly to Kolob. Yes. In, 
in an instant by the power of thought at the speed of thought that's um to be that's how we'll all be able to move around isn't it at the speed of thought yeah i hope so as i've been thinking about the colob theorem there are a few things that don't make sense to me anymore have you explained what the colob theorem is yet to the audience we're about to do that sorry so it's okay (laughs) i was looking up a word (laughs) so rfm checked out for a minute there it's okay I do it all the time with my wife, um, and generally you can style it out, but you failed that time. The Kolob theorem is the theory that the Earth, in its celestial glory, originated as a new Earth near Kolob, which is at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Okay? You got me. Now, from our current position on Earth, we cannot see the center of the Milky Way galaxy because there is a dust cloud that covers it. So Earth passed through this dust cloud or, as the theory puts, the veil and passed into the terrestrial zone of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, there was a point at which we fell from the terrestrial zone to the telestial zone. And that was at the point that Eve partook of the fruit and the fall. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, do you think that Eve was like, Adam, I've looked at the stars, and we're not quite in the right place in the Milky Way galaxy, so I'm going to put off eating that fruit for another week or so, because I kind of think that the theodolite doesn't lie, and we we just need to be a little bit further past Orion. Well, Orion wouldn't even be Orion from the original location, would it? No. Um, but that, that was a constellation that came to mind. No, this kind of theory, which I think, um, I mean, I probably, I've certainly heard of it back in the 80s when I was doing all my studies in Mormonism. And I know that it comes from a, um, a very literal take that Brigham Young made about the fall, where he talked about it being a literal fall of the planet from near God, I don't know that he said the center of the galaxy, but yeah. near Kolob to its location now that there was a fall, not just of mankind, but of the planet itself, which kind of makes sense because we talked about the flood being the baptism of the earth, right? So of course yeah. the earth has a fall, it has a baptism, it's going yeah. to ha- receive the gift of the Holy Ghost when Jesus comes again and <laughs> burns it all up. So there's this personification of the earth, even in Moses, it cries out because of all the wickedness of the men that are on it. Yeah. Right before the flood. And, um, but yeah, this is the kind of thing it leads to something that is, I don't want to be rude, but, um, well, let's say it's strange credulity. Okay. All right. I won't say it's ridiculous, but uh, it seems pretty unlikely. How's that? Uh, yeah. But that's it's, the kind of literalism that Mormonism engenders. Yeah. So the earth is on a, a journey from Kolob in the center of the Milky Way galaxy, which you can't see, but can actually see in the infrared. So God kind of screwed up there because uh, his veil doesn't veil infrared. Uh, so Dang it. I it think they made a Star Trek movie about this, didn't they? Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not a Star Trek fan, unfortunately. You really? It's where the line that. comes from. What does God need with a starship? Do you know that? No. 
okay, I haven't watched this movie a lot, like Star Trek Two, which I've watched like a hundred times, but this is maybe six. I think it's called The Undiscovered Country. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, there is a being or it's a Vulcan or somebody that they're following to find God. And they go to the center of the universe and they land on this planet and there's this big being and it's actually a projection, you know, sort of like uh, the Wizard of Oz, right? There's a big projection and this uh, man with, um, I don't know, beard and long hair and everything. And he has, uh, he's so happy, this big uh, God, we'll just call him God, that they finally found him. And he says, okay, now, I want you to beam me aboard your starship and then take me out into the universe because I we got to spread this great message of love and kindness and the gospel to everybody in the universe. And McCoy and Spock and the other guy, the other Vulcan, are just enwrapped with this. I mean, they can't believe that they've actually found God and he's talking to him. And Kirk's back there. Kirk says, he raises his hand and he says, uh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, what does God need with a starship. So he pierces right through the fact that this is not God. This is an alien creature who's trying to escape from this planet and can't do it on his own and probably doesn't have the best intentions uh, in what he's going to do once he leaves this planet. And after that, you know, things start falling apart and the earth starts shaking. And I can't remember what happens, but I think they, they make it out of there alive. Okay. Well, it's, it's almost, you want to say, what does, um, rusty need with 150 billion dollars yes because he's certainly not doing anything with it but a, a side note apparently fair mormons say now that that 150 billion dollars is for the millennium because well sure because that's where we're going to need all that money yeah uh, of course because all these corporations these evil corporations that we have to pay money to will still be here um will they i don't know it's it's kind of broken thinking uh but back I know. to Back to the Kolob theory. So much of it is stocks <laughs> in companies. Yeah, because at what point are they going to cash in? Because surely at the millennium, all the stocks will be worth nothing. So. Yeah, I got a feeling that the value is going to drop down to zero for most corporations, except for one. Except for one. Yeah, but who's going to cash them in? That's you know Yeah, I mean? that's the problem. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of think that for in your 72 hour pack, the best things to have are some alcohol for trading, cigarettes for trading, narcotics, all of the things that, when I say narcotics, I mean like painkillers, um, antibiotics. I noticed when you said narcotics, you didn't say for trading. <laughs> yes. Uh, we had a, a young man, state young men's president, who uh, when 9-11 happened, he was in the Middle East. He was in the RAF. And they had to get back to uh, the aircraft carrier. And they had to go through some checkpoints in hostile territory. And they got through them with cigarettes and alcohol. Mm -hmm. As in, they traded their way through by giving the guys cigarettes and alcohol. So Right. There are certain items that have intrinsic value regardless of any monetary system. Yeah. I mean, who's going to be absolutely um, gasping? Six months after Jesus comes, especially if it's Mormon Jesus, then everyone's going to need uh, Jack Daniels. You know, it'll be worth more than gold. So. When you said gasping, were you making reference to the idiom that our friends across the pond have for cigarettes, gaspers? Gaspers? Have you never I've... heard of a gasper? 
No. Being a name for a cigarette? No, we call them fags. I know. Yes, I'm going to go out and light up a fag. They did that with Abinadi, I think. Let me see here. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All I'm saying is because it says in the Book of Mormon that they took, you know, they burned, uh, took burning faggots and put them against his body and he died that way. You know, faggots so are actually see. a really nice meal. It is? Really? Yeah, here in the UK, it's kind of a uh, a beef, almost like a beef, uh, a big meatball in onion, beef and onion gravy. And yeah, really nice. Okay, I'm just, Google is my friend. So a gasper, noun, a person who gasps. Also, British old-fashioned slang for a cheap cigarette. Wow. I guarantee if I went out on the street and asked someone for a gasper, um, they'd probably like give me a Chelsea smile. This is like when I was talking with Nemo and I'm using all these English idioms and references and he's looking at me like I'm from outer space. Gasper. Love it. It's a gasper. Yeah. I'm going to go outside and have a gasper. Or another good one. One that we're, we're trying to spread far and wide is cockwomble. Cockwomble? Yeah. So a wom- it's an, it's a nice English insult. Um, that we give to people if you kind of like you're an idiot you're a fool you're a cockwomble um, and here in the UK a womble there was like a children's TV show called the wombles and they were kind of like these little hedgehog people who would go around picking up litter on Wimbledon Common and that it, we all watched it as kids it was like a recycling you know to get you to pick up litter and put it in the bin and different things um, so the, the image that goes around is an image of on the bottom, it's a cock as in a cockerel. And then the top half is the top half of one of these hedgehog people, the womble. Uh, if you call someone a cock womble, it is not very nice. What is a cockerel again? A cockerel. It's, it's, it's a, a spaniel. No, it's a That's male. That's a cocker spaniel. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a male, but rooster. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's redundant. A rooster, because a rooster is by definition male. Yeah, so a cockerel is yeah, it's not a male rooster, it's a a male chicken. Right, a male chicken. Yeah. So anyway, I had earlier said something about don't cock it up. <laughs> don't cock it up. That's an English idiom, isn't it? Yeah, cocking it. It's up. like don't goof it up. Yeah, or taking the piss. Well, we do that over here, but yeah. does that mean something over there in England different than it does over here? Taking the piss. It just means yeah. you're take it, taking the mickey out of someone. I'm sorry, you're doing what? You're taking what out? The mickey. You're taking your mickey out and taking oh, a piss? No. <laughs> no, so if you're taking, sorry, if you're taking the piss, okay. it means you're, you're making fun of someone. You're taking the piss out of them. So you're making fun of them, or you could say uh, a more polite way of saying it is to take the Mickey out of someone. Hmm. Don't ask well, this me is why. really fascinating. I think actually, I think it's more fascinating than the audience. Maybe we have an expression over here. It says, don't, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Yes. That's a good one. I do like that. And, uh, if we get back to Kolob, we're, oh, right. Kolob. Yeah, we're all over the place here, which is fantastic because we're just spitballing right now. Um, but we should finish the point we started on. 
because okay there was uh, a point i'm sorry uh, yeah go ahead uh, I apologize, audience members, if, if you're like, well, we, we want to hear what happened to the Earth. So the Earth came out into the, the outer arms of the Milky Way where we are now, which is a celestial world. And then outside of the Milky Way is outer darkness. And then at the millennium, there will be parts of the Earth that are cast off into outer darkness with bad people on it. And then the Earth will travel back to be celestialized in the middle of the Milky Way. I think right. that's a, a lovely fairy tale. It's um, wonderful. So outer darkness is beyond the radiation field? Yeah. So or is it the radiation it, belt? Do you know what I'm talking about? Literally in darkness. Oh, are you on about the um, uh, the belt that surrounds the Earth? Which is No, no, the, the belt that surrounds the entire universe. It's the Big Ooh. Bang, and it's been expanding. Yeah. And so the field of the radiation is, yeah. look, science is not my fort. No, I know, okay. I know exactly what you're on about. It's the uh, the back the background magnetic. Yes. Um, no, we're just talking about the Milky Way galaxy because okay. within the within the universe, inside that radiation field, there are billions of galaxies, and mm-hmm. those other galaxies are other gods. Absolutely. I mean, um, what else could it be? Yeah. Um, so you'll get one one day too. Well, I hope it's gift wrapped. Worlds without number, apparently. That would take a lot of gift wrap to gift wrap a galaxy. I think gift wrap a galaxy. Don't you don't you wonder sometimes if we are just like really small in comparison to another Earth where they're really big, and that in our frame of reference everything's okay, but like we we look at ants as being really small, and that on another world there might be people that are just really really big. Um, and would look at us and kind of like the the micro scale and the aliens are watching us now uh, and as a science experiment and just being like, man, why do they keep hating each other because of their imaginary friends? I remember having a thought like that in ninth grade, actually, which is the solar system has the sun and all the planets going around it. And that's kind of like an atom. So maybe all the solar systems are atoms and there are millions and billions of atoms that create something that is uh, like a piece of pavement or a leaf of grass in another world that's so much bigger than ours that we are nothing but inhabitants of a an electron going around a nucleus in an atom. Had you ever thought of that? Yes, and it brings us back to men in black with Orion's belt. Have you seen Men in Black? I have, but uh, it's been a long time. Was there something about Orion's belt in it? Yeah, there's uh, Orion is the cat, and on the um, collar, there's a marble, and inside that marble are other galaxies and universes. Um, and and that's kind of the... They're all tiny, but to them, they're really big, but they're inside this marble that's on a cat in our world. So... Crazy, crazy days. All I want to say is my ninth grade was way before Men in Black came out. You're the original. You're the OG. I might have to sue him for copyright infringement. (laughs) You get Will Smith on the blower. Oh, yeah. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, I think. Yes. The water's above the firmament. Yes. So I wanted to uh, look briefly at this uh, absolute cracker 
So what more a lot of Mormons don't understand is that Mormon doctrine and a lot of phraseology within Mormonism, like the foundations of heaven, windows of heaven, pillars of heaven, the foundations of the earth, all come from uh, the old Hebrew concept of flat earth. And that a lot of these things that happen within uh, the mythology of the Bible, like the flood, work with a flat earth but don't work with what we know to be globe theory uh, these days. But it wasn't just the Hebrews, it was the Greeks, Sumerians, Babylonians, Egyptians, Vikings, and the Hebrews believed in this flat earth, and that uh, Mormons do too, in a way, uh, because we have in the Book of Moses, fantastic Book of Moses, where Joseph tries to rewrite what was already a bestseller uh, where he starts to speak about <laughs> the waters above the firmament. And then when they're speaking about the floods, they've got the waters from the great deep coming up um, through the earth and covering the mountains, etc. So on the screen now, we have um, a nice representation of this uh, Hebrew concept of the universe and of flat earth. And... We've got the, the underworld. Uh, Sheol uh, was a watery or dusty prison from which no one returned. And it's this, yeah, it's this whole thing of going down to hell or going up to heaven. You could even say it's the undiscovered country from who's born, no traveler returns. Yes. Or you could say that it's the... <laughs> It's the inside of the shell, the turtle that the earth is on that's floating through the universe. That's another um, concept that people have come up with. But all of these things, the firmament, the windows of heaven, the windows of heaven will open and blessings will pour down upon you. It all comes from this flat earth theory, this language um, that is used many a times in general conferences and different things. I just thought it was interesting um, to flash that one up because... How many times, as a member of the church, did you find things that the church believes that you just thought were either ridiculous or just you were like, oh, I didn't know we believed that? Right. I think the tendency, and we do hear windows of heaven a lot because it's the Malachi chapter 3, I think it is, uh, mm -hmm. passage that uh, talks about tithing. Bring all the yeah. tithes into my house that there may be meat in mine house and I will pour open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so great that there shall not be room enough to receive it, I think is how it goes. Yeah, we take it sort of metaphorically or poetically and not realize that the author of that is talking about literal windows of heaven, which are opened because that's the mechanics of how it rains. There's all that water up there above yeah. the firmament and there are windows in the firmament that are open from time to time, no doubt by angels, in order to allow precipitation down upon the earth. Yeah, clouds are just decoration. And they're a nice decoration. I mean, I've looked at clouds <laughs> from both sides now. Well, the clouds are there to stop you seeing the faces of the angels when the windows open. Oh, okay. Uh, Very good. Yeah, I just, I just came up with that. Like, that could be a proper thing. Uh, general conference, the clouds are there. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's like the dust cloud in the Milky Way. Yes, there for a reason, but not quite effective. Right. 
Yeah, but this this makes sense though. Where all the water went, mm-hmm. because the 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 global flood to cover the tops of the highest mountains, because he had to get it right above Everest because everyone was going to be scaling Everest to uh, escape the floodwaters, right? Without oxygen and different things, he had to get it above that. Right. And if you look at this diagram that you have, which is a really excellent representation of the ancients view of the earth and the cosmos, when you look at Genesis, right, this is also what's going on in the creation account because the creation account accounts for how it is that the, cosmos ended up looking this way and it all starts off with all this water together upon the face of the earth and then if i'm remembering my genesis correctly there is a division that happens god creates in genesis by separating or dividing things so he he separates the water from the water the water below from the water above and that's what gives us this atmosphere and this land on which we live yeah, it's the envelope in which to survive and the foundations of heaven. I never realized that the foundations of heaven in flat earth theory are the South pole, the ice wall um, that goes around. There you lost me. What? If you, if you look at the, um, at the representation, you've yes. got the, the firmament and the firmament stands upon the foundations of heaven. Right, but then you said something about the poles. In modern flat earth theory. Modern flat earth theory. Okay, that's the, the part that I missed. The South Pole uh, is all the way around the the world as an ice wall that is impenetrable. So if you took modern flat earth theory and put it into this, that would say that the foundations of heaven are that ice wall. Um, back to Game of Thrones. Oh, well, winter is coming. Yeah, we'll come full circle. Smashing <laughs> it. Okay, awesome. Well, before we let you go, I promised a test. Oh, geez. Okay. okay, this is a pop quiz. I hate pop quizzes. I know. I didn't warn, it, warn you about this at all. I apologize, but I thought, you know, you're so good at them. Um, so some of them are like, you'll be like, really? You didn't think I'd know that? Uh, uh, so I hope there's at least one of those. Let's take a look. So I'll just go back so you can see me and not the horse's backside. I'm having trouble telling the difference. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> that was so rude of me, and I'm a guest. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. You know what? I thought the same thing. So I can't resist that. a good straight line. It's one of my okay. many weaknesses. Okay. First up, um, we're... We'll go for an easy one. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at myself. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Nobody nobody puts baby in a corner. No. Oh, no. what am I saying? Am I supposed to say that that's from uh, Dirty Dancing or something? Yes. Congratulations. Dirty oh, thank dancing. you. Um, frankly, my dear, I don't give it. I damn. don't give a damn. Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. <laughs> Not the last line in the sh- in the movie, but the last line that Clark Gable has before he leaves. Fantastic. He's looking at you, kid. Here's looking at you, kid. We'll always have Paris. Play it, Sam. If she can stand it, so can I. Cas- <laughs> Casablanca. Casablanca. Okay. 
Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to trying seduce to seduce me, me to graduate oh, Dustin Hoffman to Anne Bancroft. Wow, you are un unflappable. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Oh my gosh! You know that was actually a, a line that was ad libbed in the movie Jaws by Roy Scheider. Really? Yeah, playing I, Chief Brody. I see. Yeah, I saw a. Um, there was a quiz on UK television not so long ago, and one of the questions was, "What is the line?" And I thought it was, "We're gonna need a bigger boat." I get that wrong all the time. Yeah, you're gonna need a bigger boat. He's on. He's on the boat, but yeah, you're gonna need a bigger boat. Okay. That's right. When he's back, he's chumming, doing this mindless chum. You know what chumming is? Yeah, yeah. They're trying to. They're putting the the guts and the blood in the water to attract the shark. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, then it comes the along. Sudden, and it's too big. The head comes up. And he goes, he's backing yeah. up. You're going to need a bigger boat. He's the only one who sees it. Yeah. Couple more. Mama always had a way of explaining things so I could understand them. Ooh. Mama always had a way of explaining things so I could understand them. Yeah. You know, the only thing that even comes to, I, it's not familiar. The only thing that comes to mind is possibly psycho, but I don't know. No, that one's Forrest Gump. Oh, Forrest. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I didn't know yeah. that one. Okay. Oh, oh, I feel like we got, what is the one there. from psycho where Tony uh, Perkins, Anthony Perkins says, um, a mother is a boy's best friend. I think no, that's I the line. Do you know the, the movie Psycho? Yes. Okay, great movie. Yeah. Uh, I think it came one, out the year I was born. Really? I you're think not, so. You're not that old. Oh, I'm older. No? It's not the years, darling. It's the mileage. What movie is that from? No idea. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Well, this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want. You know what? I didn't get Forrest Gump. You know, you know, the line I like the most from Forrest Gump is when his girlfriend, uh, what is it? She's, you know, she had this horrible childhood and she's out in front of the house and she's grown and he's grown and she's sitting there. She's throwing rocks at the house. Yes. Because she's so, I mean, just crazy exactly. mad and upset yeah. about everything. And then she exhausts herself, sits down and Forrest says to her, some days there just aren't enough rocks. Oh, that's awesome. That's oh. a great line. I, I enjoy the one where he's running, everyone's running with him, and a, a car comes past and splashes excrement on his face. He takes a uh, it takes a t-shirt from someone and rubs his face off, and it comes off with this Jesus-type image. And someone says to him, you know, what do you do when that happens? And he's just like, well, shit happens. And it's like on bumper stickers now forever. Um, because the guy... He waltzes through life and is a success at everything that he does, even when he doesn't mean to be. Yeah. And yeah, he's like rusty. Um, oh. so, last, last one, last one. I ate his liver with some fava beans. Fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> yes. And Silence of the Radio Free Mormons. Silence of the Radio Free Mormons, Silence of the Lambs. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that that kind of rounds us off nicely um, to have bast in your glory as you. Uh, you didn't get the Forrest Gump one, but I think you, you did pretty well. Um, there are a lot of them that I wouldn't have got. So. Well, thank you, because, you know, I'm going to obsess for the rest of the day on the Forrest Gump one that I didn't get, because that's my personality type. Yeah, you have to go watch it tonight.
I'll send you the link to the quiz. Um, there are some pretty good ones if you want to just randomly have a look and check your knowledge. Wait, um, you mean there's more? Yeah, yeah. It could go on for... Um, say hello to my little friend. Say hello to my little friend. Say hello to my little friend, Albertino Scarface. Uh, uh, nobody owes nobody nothing. Wow, nobody owes nobody nothing. I don't know, but we all deserve it. Go ahead. That's Rocky. Nobody owes... Nobody nothing? That's Rocky? Yeah, apparently. You know the line I know from Rocky? Go on. By the way, Britt Metcalf, I'm sure, could do a great Sylvester Stallone with his deep voice. Uh, yo, Paulie, your sister's at my place. We've we've got a kid that plays uh, on my uh, son's soccer team. I'll say soccer, even though it pains me. Uh, <laughs> and he's called Adrian. And every time... He, I see him with the ball. I want to be like, Adrian! Adrian! I did it! Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, last one then. 1976. Uh, yes, sir, boss. Like the drink, only spelled the same. It's a green mile. Yes! Oh, I didn't think you were going to get that. Seems coffee. Yes. So I think it was coffee. Only spelled the same. Right. Great. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll end with that one. It's not going to get any better than that, folks. No, no. Uh, thank you so much for your time, for getting up early to be with us here at, on UK time. So you're an early bird, but I think you definitely caught the worm. But um, you know what? Yes. That deserves a... Uh... Don't be so hard on yourself. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I'll be here all week. Try the yeah. fish. No, you've been amazing. Um, if you, Just to the audience out there, wherever you are listening to this, please leave a review. Uh, if you feel you can support Radio Free Mormon, Priest of Dispatches, then there will be links in the description below of where you can go to to support the podcast. Uh, it does take time. does take effort, even though it may have seemed absolutely effortless for the last hour. Um, but thank you for listening. You Go bet. On. The great ones make it look easy. And the, the not-so-great ones make it look like this. <laughs> 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 and on that note, thank you. Good night. Uh, everyone have a good one. See ya. Bye-bye. Well, that concludes my interview with Priesthood Dispatches. I hope you had a good time listening to it. If, by chance, you have not yet made a donation to Radio Free Mormon, I encourage you to go there today, radiofreemormon.org. Click on the Donate button and make a recurring or continuing donation. $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, whatever you can afford. Your donations will keep Radio Free Mormon broadcasting behind enemy lines. That's all for tonight. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. To help you learn to help yourself
Jesus loves you more. 